So let's open our Bibles. Today we come and talk about that. Today is the last sermon on this series of forgiveness. So we come today to the last sermon, sermon number 14. And I would like to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read verses 31 through chapter 5, verse 2. So if you can stand, I want to invite you to stand up. And here's the word of the Lord. Let all bitterness, not some, not most of them, all, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You may be seated. Uh, Lord, we, we, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. As we were just singing here, Lord, how sweet and awful is this place with you inside here. It's sweet because your presence is sweet. It's awful in the sense that it's full of awe. We stand in awe of you, Lord. And the words are true. Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there is room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Thank you for making us able to hear your voice. And we pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us. You are the good shepherd. We need your voice to guide us, to feed us. So even behind this earthly voice here, I pray that your people would hear your voice. We need you. I need you. The congregation needs you, Lord. So help us. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Chris Brown, in his book, Unpacking Forgiveness, he compares forgiveness as relocating a family. So if you've ever, you ever done that wonderful thing of reloc relocating a family from either uh, a city to another city, from a state to another state, or from a country to another country, you know how it is. And he says, yes, the moving part might take one day. Just, okay, we are, we are sleeping at this house today, we are sleeping at another house the next day. But the process of unpacking all the boxes takes a long time. And some of you are, yes, we have moved for years and there are still boxes that we have never unpacked. And that's how he compares forgiveness as this glorious thing that we are going to be unpacking for the rest of our lives. And it is true. There are many aspects of forgiveness that we'll be struggling, need to unpack little by little. Some are going to be very simple, very easy to unpack. And there are other aspects, honestly, about 
forgiveness that we will only be able to unpack in the eschaton, when Jesus comes back. And our lives here on earth, before the final coming of the Lord, before the glorification of our bodies, will be a life marked by either, by both. Forgiving and being forgiven. That's going to be our lives. That's what Paul says, forgiving one another. Constant forgiving and the need to be forgiven. So it's vital that we master this as much as we can. We were never able to master completely and fully. We have actually just started to unpack this doctrine. But we must give ourselves to understand better and better this precious doctrine, the doctrine of forgiveness of sins. Amen? So today as we come towards our last sermon, we're going to be looking at the who and the why of forgiveness. The who, who can forgive and who can be forgiven. And then the why, why do sinners need to be forgiven? Why do Christians need daily forgiveness? And why must we forgive one another? Okay, so that's where we are heading this morning. So the first question, the who. Who can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins? And we know that... For Mark chapter 2, if you remember Mark chapter 2 is when Jesus is healing the lame. Do you remember that his friends bring the lame? And Jesus declares to that man, your sins are forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders right there, what do they do? They start grumbling. They start murmuring. And they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, that's right theology. That's right theology coming from a rotten heart. Their hearts are rotten, and still they have the proper theology about forgiveness. They cannot see that Christ is God, and He is all-powerful and able to forgive. But we know that every sin is, first of all, and ultimately against God alone. That's why we read earlier Psalm 51, and you remember the context of that. It's, it's David, his sin. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against the whole nation as a king, a godly king who is supposed to set the example. And yet in his prayer, he doesn't say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me, for I have sinned against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against my family. He says, I... I have sinned against you and you only. So every sin is ultimately against God and God alone can forgive us. That's very vital for us to understand. Because you can have, brothers and sisters, you can have all your sins forgiven by a person. All the sins that you committed, you can have forgiven by a person. But if those sins have not been forgiven by God, you're still heading to hell. Because God must forgive us. Isaiah 43, 25, the Lord says through Isaiah, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. So ultimately, no man, no woman, no pope, no priest, no pastor, no, no, no church can forgive you in a judicial way where we will absolve you from all your sins. Christ and Christ alone. We all have incurred infinite wrath by sinning against an infinitely holy God. So the only, only way is by the infinite holy man, the God-man, Jesus, 
to purchase our forgiveness. And that's exactly what he does. And that's why when he's establishing the Lord's Supper, he says, take and drink this cup, the blood that's shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. He's right there declaring that's the, the only way to acquire forgiveness. So God alone can forgive. But wait, God alone can forgive, but we just read in Ephesians the command for us to forgive one another. So how do we do that? If God alone can forgive, why are we commanded to forgive one another? It's interesting that if you keep reading there, he says, be imitators of God. So there is this aspect where we forgive one another because we are imitating our Father. We are imitating our Savior. Amen? So there is this precious aspect of forgiveness where we are commanded and empowered by God to forgive one another because we are imitating the one who has forgiven us. We saw in our last study that Jesus gave authority to the church to grant or to withhold forgiveness. So the church has the authority to either forgive or to withhold forgiveness. But brothers and sisters, this authority is never divorced from Christ. That's very important. It's different from the Roman Catholic Church where they believe that they have this autonomy to declare someone judicially forgiven. No. We as Christians, as a church, we are forgiving one another, withholding forgiveness on the basis of Christ's authority, what He's teaching us. And it's never apart from Christ. And you've got to remember that our forgiveness of one another is always relational, not judicial. We cannot forgive someone on behalf of God. It's always in the relational aspect that we are forgiving. Never in a judicial way in relation to God. Amen? That's important. So the same thing with withholding forgiveness. When we don't see repentance, we are doing what Christ commands us, but it's never in a way that usurps the authority of Christ or that we can forgive on the place of Christ as if Christ was saying, Oh, I would have forgiven that person. Or I would not have forgiven that person. Why did you guys forgive, forgive him? No, we are always imitating our Master, our Savior. So, who can forgive sins? God and Christians. Amen? God ultimately, but we forgive in this relational, horizontal aspect, imitating the God who adopted us, the Father who calls us to imitate Him. Amen? Now, the second question is, who can be forgiven? Who can be forgiven? And that's a simple question, but with very different answers you're going to see if you read books on forgiveness. The basic answer, if the question is, let's suppose it's a quiz, and there's a, who can be forgiven? The most basic, simple, biblical answer is, sinners who repent. Amen? That's the, the biblical answer. Who can be forgiven? Sinners who repent. Why is that important? Because there is teaching in the church saying that you can forgive God. So I have seen books 
heard speakers saying that you can forgive God. So, for example, if you had a traumatic experience in the past, you're sexually abused, your husband forsook you, committed adultery, you lost a baby, and then you have this group to come and help you, and what they're going to counsel you is you need to forgive God, first of all. You need to forgive God. I would say that that's heresy or blasphemy. We never forgive God. So, let me show you uh, an example of that. And I'm not endorsing this book by no means. It's the opposite. I'm showing how this is blasphemy being taught. So, R.T. Kendall, he has many books on forgiveness. One of the books is How to Forgive Ourselves Totally. And this book I'm quoting from is totally forgiving God when it seems he has betrayed you. And he says, The key to forgiving God is knowing his ways and accepting them. It's my sincere prayer that you will be encouraged as you read on and that you yourself will will come to the place sooner than later that you totally forgive God for whatever it was that he allowed to happen in your life that led you to anger, hurt, frustration, and disillusionment. So, you are sinning by being angry, frustrated with God, and what you need to do is not to repent, but to forgive God. Huh. And you read the book, he opens the book by saying that God is holy, God is perfect, God doesn't sin. He says that right in the beginning. But then he goes on to say that you must forgive God because we must set God free, letting him totally off the hook. By setting God free, Kendall says, you will be free. You see, forgiveness became this emotional. It's not a transaction with a sinner. It's this emotional thing. It's all about yourself. So you must forgive God so you can set yourself free to to be happy. This is heresy, blasphemy to forgive God. To forgive Browns, he writes, to forgive God when you feel angry with Him is to put an emotional bandage on a deep wound. Instead, we must accept that we cannot understand why these events happen as they do. But we can be confident that God loves us and shared in our suffering on the cross. We can trust that ultimately He is always doing the right and the best thing for His greatest glory and for His people's greatest good. Amen. You're not going to forgive God. That has nothing to do with the situation. You humble yourself. We never forgive God. God is always the one who forgives us. God is never the object of our forgiveness. Amen? Because you will read, if you're reading and studying forgiveness, you will come across Christian books teaching you that you must forgive God. And especially when you go through a painful situation in your life, you are going to have friends from other churches who will come to you and give you this wonderful counsel that you must forgive God. And that's a wonderful opportunity for you to teach them the true gospel and what forgiveness is. Amen?
So we cannot forgive God by no means. We cannot forgive ourselves. That's another thing that we see so often in the Christian church. And that's the fruit of the idolatry of the self. It's all about self-esteem. It's all about how you feel. It's all about yourself. Therefore, it comes to this idea that you must forgive yourself. Nowhere in the Bible, and I encourage you to look in the Bible to see if you find people forgiving themselves. You don't have that. And, And pastorally speaking here, the greatest problem with that, as I see, is that these people who are saying, I need to forgive myself, I can't forgive myself, is that they either see their sin or their sins so big that God is unable, He's not powerful enough to forgive me. Or they see their sin so small that God would be, He's too busy. He's not able to forgive me this peccadillo, this little sin. So I need to forgive myself. Two errors. And, and, and there's often also, with this idea of forgiving yourself, there's the problem of ignorance and arrogance. So some people are ignorant. They don't understand the power of the death of Christ. They don't understand the power of Christ's forgiveness. And that's why they're struggling they, they think that they need to add their forgiveness because Christ's forgiveness was not powerful enough. Oh yes, Jesus is able to forgive Ruth, but He would never forgive my sins. You don't know what I did. That's ignorance of the power of Christ's forgiveness. And also ignorance of the power of sin. It's ignorance of the, the power of the de- depravity of the heart. Because you're saying, I can't believe I sinned that greatly. If you understand depravity, you know that you are able. And that, that's the ignorance. There is the arrogance part, is that you take the place of God. So now, God's not enough as the judge. I need to forgive myself. All right, God, you're good to forgive some sins, but not this sin. I need myself as the judge here. So, our greatest need in life is not forgiving ourselves. Amen? The greatest need in life is not to to receive forgiveness from myself. (laughs) The greatest need in life is to to receive forgiveness from whom? God himself. Nancy the she says, Forgiveness is not something that you can give yourself. It's something that God has purchased for you. So we cannot forgive ourselves. And I hear so often people saying, I just cannot forgive myself. And I say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> you should not and you cannot forgive yourself. Amen. Another one. You cannot forgive animals or dead people. It it sounds ridiculous, but you see that in books. You see that in teachings about forgiveness in the church. So, if you had a traumatic experience with a Doberman or a Pinscher or a Rottweiler, let's have a time and you need to forgive that dog for biting you or creating the fear in your life. 
Remember, animals cannot sin. They are not made with the ability and the capacity to sin and, and rebel against God's laws. Men alone, alone can sin. So animals cannot repent. They don't have the capacity to repent. And the same with dead people. They're dead. They cannot repent. Amen? Think, think about our spiritual lives. Think about the timing when you repented of your sins and trust Christ. You repented of your sins and trust Christ when the Holy Spirit gave you life. It's only when the Holy Spirit changed your heart through regeneration that you were able to repent and turn to Christ. And now you think about the physical aspect. The person is dead. That will not take place. So what happens if somebody who hurts you deeply, someone who abused you, profoundly, dies without ever asking for forgiveness or repenting. You cannot forgive that person, but you have other things that you're called to do. You're called, through the Scriptures, to ask the Lord to avenge your situation. You ask God to judge the situation. Romans 12, Lord, you are the righteous judge. You are holy and perfect. Take my case. You know how sinful, how monstrous that situation was. We have the duty to never be bitter. We have the duty of never being bitter. The Bible doesn't allow us to be bitter. And we have the duty and the privilege of letting the gospel wash us and help us to overcome that pain, giving to Christ, growing in our understanding of the gospel and the power of Christ in our lives. Amen? But we cannot do the transaction of forgiving a father or an uncle or someone else who hurts you deeply. You've you got to learn to give to the Lord the, the, the vertical aspect, giving to the Lord, giving to the Lord. And sometimes it's a process, amen, of growing in this area. So, so that's important. We, we, we cannot forgive God by no means. We cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot forgive animals or dead people. Okay? And here's a question for us to think as about the who. Can Christians forgive unbelievers? Can Christians forgive unbelievers? What do you think? Who thinks that Christians can forgive unbelievers? You guys are always scared of <laughs> raising your hands. <laughs> that, that's an interesting question. Can Christians forgive unbelievers? And you've got to think about the transaction. If forgiveness requires repentance, can an unbeliever truly repent? And remember what repentance is, is always first against your sin against God. Because if the unbeliever can do that, then he's no longer an unbeliever. He's saved. When he realized that he sinned against God, that he wants to please God, and that he must turn away from his sins, he's no longer a pagan. He's a Christian. So, honestly, we cannot biblically forgive an unbeliever. In the sense that he has not truly repented. And there is a worldly sorrow. There is a, a, a carnal sorrow. That's what Paul says in Second Corinthians. 
He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffer no loss through us. Then he says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly, worldly grief produces what? Death. So let's call these smart guys to help us. And I'm calling Dane Ortland. He says in his commentary, he says, This godly grief is an emotional experience ignited by concern, not at what people see, but at what God sees. It's not sorrow at being caught in sin. It's sorrow at being in sin. Godly grief terminates not in hardness of heart, but in repentance, penitence. Godly grief does not end in grief. It flows beyond the sorrow into repentance and regain joy. Can an unbeliever do that? No. And then he says, We know here in passing that there is a difference in the New Testament teaching between repentance and regret. Judas and Esau experienced the bitterness of regret. Neither repented. There is a sorrow for sin that terminates on itself and lacks inner heart change. So, let's suppose an unbeliever sins against you. And he has this worldly regret, this worldly sorrow. And he comes to you and he says, Elizabeth, I sin against you. Can you please forgive me? What do you do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. What a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. What a beautiful opportunity to share the gospel. Yes, we cannot trans- do the transaction, but here's a wonderful opportunity for you to say something like, so and so, I know you sin against me. I have given your offense towards me, towards my Lord. I gave it to my Lord. I hold no bitterness towards you. And I love your soul. I love your life so much that I want to tell you that it doesn't matter if I forgive you. I can forgive you and you are still going to perish. You need Christ to forgive you. And I pray that you will, you will realize that you have sinned not just against me, but you have sinned against God first. But I promise I'm not holding any bitterness, any grudge. And who knows, you offer yourself to meet with that person again and talk more about the gospel. So, we need to be wise and use the opportunity to speak about Christ and the gospel. And that's why Christians can never have a deep and truly meaningful relationship with unbelievers. There is no way. Forgiveness is a Christian. It's a Christian duty and privilege. And in every relationship, you're going to have sin and you're going to need to be forgiven and you're going to need to forgive others. And that's why sometimes you hear Christians say, oh, my best friend is this pagan. I'm sorry, but this relationship is not well. It's not healthy. Because there is one party there that cannot truly forgive or grant forgiveness. So there will be superficiality in that relationship. 
Uh, so what happens if you sin against an unbeliever? Should you ask him or her to forgive you? Yes. Yes, we show the gospel. We ask. Ability is not the measure of responsibility. Ability is not the measure of responsibility. God calls everyone to repent. Does everyone have the ability? If you're caught driving under the influence. You don't have the ability to drive well. And you're still responsible for your actions. You kill somebody, you cannot say, I was drunk. I did not have the ability to not kill that person. So we still ask in the hope that that person, and I pray, I I ask you to forgive me, and I pray that you will encounter Christ's forgiveness. You will be forgiven by Christ, and you will in turn be able to forgive me of my sins against you. Last, what we see in the scriptures is, especially in the New Testament, that we are called to forgive one another in the Christian community, in the Christian family. So be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another. He's talking about a church, Christians in a church. Or Colossians 3, forgiving one another. He's talking to a church, Christians. Luke chapter 17, if your brother sins... Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. He's talking to you Christians. Matthew 18, if your brother sins, talking to Christians. All these verses speak of Christians forgiving other Christians because we have received a new heart, a heart that is empowered to forgive because we received forgiveness. Amen? I like what Spurgeon says. He says, notice, referring to Ephesians 4.32, he says, notice, it doesn't say forgiving another, but forgiving one another. Then he says, one another. Ah, then that means that if you have to forgive today, it's very likely that you will yourself need to be forgiven tomorrow. For it is forgiving one another. It's a turn and turn about, a mutual operation. In fact, there is a joint stock business of mutual forgiveness. And members of the Christian church should take large shares in this concern. You forgive me, and I forgive you, and we forgive them, and they forgive us. And so a circle of unlimited forbearance and love goes around the world. And the church displays what the world needs the most. Forgiveness. Amen? Okay, so that's the who. Let's move to the why. To the why. Why? Why? And the first one is, why do sinners need to be forgiven? That's the first question. That's very basic for all of us, but it's important to be reminded. Why do sinners need to be forgiven? The Bible is clear that we all have sin. We all have sin against God. We, we are sinners by nature. By nature, we are children of God's wrath because of sin. We sin by actions. And forgiveness is God's gracious work through the sacrifice of Jesus by which He removes the guilt and clears the way for a restored relationship. 
So forgiveness is God's gift to, through Jesus to remove the guilt and clear the way for the re- relationship to be restored. Only through forgiveness. And that's beautiful because then you think, oh, and forgiveness is inseparable from repentance. Why? Repentance is the demonstration that you hate that sin that harms your relationship. So we have forgiveness inseparable from repentance. Why? Because repentance shows, I hate that sin. I hate that sin. And that's why the relationship is restored. So, the greatest need of all mankind is what? What is the greatest need of all mankind? Electric cars? Clean water? Forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest need of mankind. And that's why we last week, of all the people in the world, we are the only ones who can truly give thanks to the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. We have the greatest reason of all to thank Him. Another question is, okay, if I was forgiven by God, why do I need daily forgiveness? If, if Christians were already forgiven, why do we need daily forgiveness of sins? So, for example, Paul says in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and un- uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. And look at that. Having forgiven us, what? All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So wait, if Christ has forgiven me of all my sins, why do I need to be asking for forgiveness? And we know that we need to ask for forgiveness because Jesus teaches us and commands us in the Lord's Prayer, give us us today our daily bread, Forgive us our debts, implying that as we need daily bread, we also need forgiveness daily, just like we need daily bread. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, what? So what happens if we don't confess our sins? It's going to harm the relationship. So we must keep in mind these two aspects of forgiveness. There is the judicial aspect The judicial aspect where we have been declared righteousness in Christ Jesus. By faith we are united to Jesus Christ. And as God sees us in Christ, there is this judicial aspect. We are completely forgiven. Free from sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But once, it doesn't stop there. God is not just the judge, He's a father too. And He adopts us into His family. And now we are living as children of a father who saved us, redeemed us, but has not yet glorified us. So you must keep in mind the judicial, the relational aspect of forgiveness, and then you've got to keep in mind also the already but not yet. We have been already justified, but we have not yet been what? glorified and in our relationship we will still sin and what do we need to do when we sin repent and ask for forgiveness so the relationship can be restored amen so why do i need to ask for forgiveness 
Why do I need forgiveness on a daily basis if I'm already justified and forgiven? What a wonderful opportunity to teach people. You see, in Christ, I'm fully justified, forgiven, pardoned. Colossians chapter 3, we saw. But still, as a child who has not been glorified yet, I still sin. I still sin and I need, I need His forgiveness, I need your forgiveness. Amen? Another question. Why must we forgive one another? Why must we forgive one another? And there's so many reasons here. Uh, the first one for me is the most basic one. and I'm a, a simple man when it comes to my brain. And for me, that's the most basic answer. Why must I forgive? We must forgive one another because God what? Commands it. Very simple. Why must I forgive? Because God commands me to do that. And everything that he commands is good, perfect, beautiful. The problem with the, the contemporary teaching on forgiveness is all about yourself. So you start forgiving people because that's how you feel. I just feel like forgiving you. So, so much of the, the, the material on forgiveness is about you. No, 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 no. We forgive because God commands us. And we withhold forgiveness when the situation rises because God commands us, not because I feel like. Do you know what? I know that Sam, he sinned against me greatly. He has not repented, but I just feel like forgiving him. We don't do things because we feel like. We do out of obedience to the Word of God. Amen? That's so crucial. Feelings do not govern our obedience to Christ. Second, we must forgive because as we obey His Word, He sanctifies us. Obedience to God's words brings holiness, sanctification. The commands of the Lord purifies the soul. The more we grow in, in, in this disposition of forgiving, forgiving one another, the more we are delivered from Satan's schemes, from the devil's schemes. And at the same time, we are delivered from our own selfishness. Amen? Think about sin. When somebody sins against you, and that's why the, there is the picture of debt, right? So when somebody sins against you, I suppose Lourdes, I, I sin against Lourdes. And now there is this debt. And then Lourdes knows that. So instead of forgiving me when I repented and asked her, can I receive your forgiveness? She keeps holding that debt. And you are in power over that person. So every situation, you bring it up that. Huh. Why? You owe me. You owe me. That's what sin wants us to do, to be lording over other people, holding debts. Oh, remember, when you sin against me, I'm still, I'm still holding that. So by forgiving one another, we are canceling the debt. It's, it, it's done. I have no power over you. We are equals here. 
by forgiving one another. If you remember, Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, we are destroying Satan's schemes because he loves when we are bitter, when you're angry towards other people, other brothers and sisters. And then he takes a foothold. So as we grow in having a forgiving disposition, we become more and more forgiving, we become more and more like Christ. Someone once said, uh, uh, we are never more like God than when we forgive others. And there is truth to that, much truth. We are never more like God than when we forgive people who sin against us. There is this aspect of imitating God in a beautiful way when we forgive others. So as we forgive one another, the Lord sanctifies us. He makes us more like Christ. Amen? Another one. We must forgive because it preserves the unity of the church. Matthew 6, Matthew 18, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. It's all in the context of unity in the church. Imagine a group of unforgiving people. Get a group of unforgiving, bitter people. Do they have unity? Can you have unity with unforgiving? Can you be unified with unforgiving, angry, bitter people? There is no way. And that's why forgiveness is so crucial in the church. Christ died. Think about it. Christ died to make us one. To bring unity. And forgiveness is God's means to maintain the unity. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. It should be there. But look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at how it begins and ends this chapter. He begins, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the, go- of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And now he's going to go on to tell us how to maintain this unity. And look at how he ends the chapter. He commands us to be eager to maintain the unity of the, the church. And then verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The primary means that we are going to keep the unity in the church is by having a forgiving heart. A forgiving church, a church that has the disposition, the eagerness, the readiness to forgive, will be a unified church. And last, we finish here. Last. We must forgive because it brings glory to God and the gospel of Jesus. And that sounds basic, and it is basic, but it's not basic to the many books I read on forgiveness. I read multiple books on forgiveness. I listened to multiple sermons on forgiveness throughout this whole series. And you don't hear about the glory of our God. It's all about your glory. It's all about you, how you feel. Here's some of the reasons, reading from many, many books. It sets you free. It helps you move forward with your life. It begins your healing process. It removes the anger and malice from your heart. You are no longer giving someone else authority over your mind and heart. You will have a peace of mind. You have the power to forgive. Forgiving is the best revenge. It's all about you. Never the glory of God. We forgive one another 
honestly. Because we are humble by this God who would love us and forgive us. And we want to glorify Him. We want to glorify the gospel, magnify the gospel by imitating this wonderful God that we have. And that's not to deny that there are tremendous blessings in forgiving one another. There are tremendous blessings. The more forgiving you are, the more joyful you are. Amen? Do you know any unforgiving person that's joyful, that is jo joyful? Unforgiving people are always bitter, angry. But you get a forgiving person, you love to be around. Right? You want to walk with forgiving people. So there is joy in forgiving. There is blessedness. Blesses the man whose transgressions are forgiven. There is so much in the outflow of forgiveness. But it's never the primary reason why we forgive. I will not forgive so I can set myself free. We forgive for God's glory. And we withhold forgiveness when it's called to you for God's glory also. Amen? So, as we come towards the end of this series, the end of this sermon, that's a massive topic, brothers and sisters. Fourteen sermons today, and we could keep going. We, we have just started. We have just started unpacking this doctrine. And I... That has been one of those series that... I had never seen so many questions and at the same time joy and relief for understanding the doctrine of forgiveness. And that's how it's going to be. <laughs> Our whole lives will be marked by this constant need of forgiving, needing to be forgiven, Unpacking this doctrine, some cases are going to be easier than other cases. Some cases are going to be much more complicated that will require wisdom, the Holy Spirit to help us how to apply the Word. Some situations will require us just to cover. Some situations will require just to go one-on-one -on -one and have the relationship restored. But the truth is, we are going to keep forgiving and being forgiven the rest of our lives here on earth. So, I hope that helped you, this series. And you remember, you started, the first sermon was on Exodus 34. Exodus 34, and when you saw how forgiveness is essential in the character of God and is essential in the Word of God. And then in sermon 2, 3, and 4, we, we had the biblical theology. We traced the theme of forgiveness from Genesis to Revelation. We had three sermons tracing the theme of forgiveness from Genesis to Revelation. Do you remember that? Probably not. It has been a long time, but we did that. <laughs> and, and we spent some time. We spent some time, and I would say a good amount of time in Leviticus on that first sermon. Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16. Because that's the greatest picture of forgiveness in the Old Testament. That's the day of affliction. That's the day that God would come and forgive His people and restore their relationship so He could keep dwelling for another year with them. 
And he remembered that there were two goats. And the high priest had to confess the sins, repent. And two goats. And one goat would travel west with the sins of God's people, far away from God's presence. And the other goat would travel east through his blood, coming to God's presence. And we saw how God removes our sins and He forgives us as far as the east is from the west. We saw that. And then we kept moving, we kept journeying through the Old Testament, we saw all the prophecies and the expectation of the new covenant. With the new covenant, there would be forgiveness of sins in a new way. So we come to the New Testament, you see how Christ fulfills the new covenant by bringing the forgiveness of sins that we so desperately needed. And you see how forgiveness of sins was so crucial in the life of Christ from his birth to his ascension. He's always talking about forgiveness of sins. And we also saw in the New Testament that whatever theology we have of forgiveness of sins, our understanding of forgiveness of sins must have place for imprecatory prayers. We must have a place in our doctrine of forgiveness of sins for imprecatory prayers, excommunication, and withholding forgiveness. Amen? Because those are teachings in the Bible. And they don't contradict itself. They're all together. After we finish this, we tabernacle in Luke chapter 15. We tabernacle there, we set up our tent, and we stay there for three Sundays in Luke chapter 15. And we beheld that marvelous parable of the forgiving father with his two sons. Three Sundays beholding how Christ forgives us. How one receives forgiveness. We saw all the major principles of forgiveness displayed right there. Repentance, confession of sins, the joy of restoring fellowship, and the problem with those who are unforgiving. And then once the foundation was set, with all this biblical teaching, then we were able to move to the more practical questions of forgiveness. So first, remember, we look at the what of forgiveness. What is divine forgiveness? What is Christian forgiveness? And then we saw what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not blind trust. Forgiveness is not the removal of consequences. And forgiveness is not as the same as having a forgiving disposition. Then we study the how of forgiveness, how God forgives us, how we can confront one another, how to ask for forgiveness, how to forgive one another. Then we had three sermons in the when, when of forgiveness. <laughs> when to confront, when to ask for forgiveness, when to overlook a sin, when to grant or withhold forgiveness. And today we come to the who and the why. And I would say the most important, the why. Always for, always for His glory and for His glory alone. We will forgive, cover, and withhold forgiveness. It's always for His glory. Amen? So my prayer is, as we finish this series, my, my prayer as I was preparing this series, teaching you, is that we as a church, we will grow, we will grow and not be children, like Paul says to the Ephesians, to not be children, in our understanding of forgiveness. Tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine teaching about forgiveness. Rather speaking the truth in love, we will grow up. And especially in the doctrine of forgiveness. I, I want this church as a mature church. A mature church in understanding forgiveness. 
Because so much of the teaching on forgiveness is emotions, feelings, and so little of what is truly taught in these scriptures. So I want all of us mature, mature in this understanding. And as we grow in maturity, I pray that, as, as Paul says, forgiving one another as God forgave you in Christ. In Christ. My prayer is that we will always deal with one another in Christ. Looking at each other in Christ. Please don't ever deal with me outside Christ. And let me not deal with you outside Christ. Let us look at each other in Christ. Redeemed by His grace, by His mercy. Clothed with His righteousness. And I'll quote last year to finish J. Adams. He says, Forgiveness, what a wonderful thing it is. Forgiveness is man's greatest need. Without it, he's doomed to spend eternity in hell, suffering for his sins. With it, he will spend eternity in heaven with God, enjoying the eternal fruits of Christ's righteousness. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the Christian home and church running smoothly. And he says, in a world where even those who have been declared perfect in Christ still sin, there is much to forgive. Christians who must work together closely find themselves denting each other's fenders, now and then taking out a tailgate or two, and at times even having head-on collisions. Under such conditions, forgiveness is what keeps things from breaking down completely. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would anoint this church with this oil of forgiveness so it can run smoothly. Keep serving the Lord. And I pray that you all will see how Christ has forgiven you, how much He has forgiven you. Remember the parable. Remember the parable of Luke 15. How He forgave you. How He ran towards you. How he embraced you. How he kissed you. And how he celebrated. That's how we must see God's forgiveness towards us. And when you understand that, you will never say, I need my own forgiveness. I need to forgive myself. Why? That wasn't enough. And I pray for those who are here who have not experienced forgiveness. I pray that today, today is the day, not tomorrow, today is the day that the Lord has His arms open, wide open to receive you, forgive you, and then you can experience the joy of being forgiven, and in return you can forgive others and bless others. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this whole series. Thank you for sustaining us, helping us. And I pray, Lord, that this church here will be a church of forgiving and forgiving people. Because only those forgiven by you can truly forgive. So help us. Help us to grow in our understanding. And more than that, grow in the likeness of Christ. Becoming more and more forgiving. So please, Lord, help us. Thank you so much. Thank for your word. Thank for 
speaking to us. Thank you for transforming us and changing us. And we pray that you would continue doing that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.